Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I was thinking as we were singing that song, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he says these words in Philippians chapter 2, in verse number 9 and following. He says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Man, what a wonderful, beautiful, powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen? And uh, it is good. That's not even the message this morning. But it is a great message. Amen. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being here this morning, Labor Day weekend. And certainly, uh, what a wonderful Savior we serve. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting into God's Word today. I do want to uh, bring you up to date on a couple of things. Uh, for those, I want to ask you to pray for the Hera family. For those who remember uh, David and Melissa Hera used to sit right out over here. Uh, David uh, uh, went home to be with the Lord uh, just yesterday as far as we know. And uh, so I'd ask you to pray for Melissa and the rest of the Hera family during this time. Uh, but as we pray for the Hera family and others who have been through surgery, certainly we think of Miss Judy. And I'd ask you to continue to pray for my wife and Courtney Aylstock. It's good to see her here today. But continue to keep one another in prayer as others uh, deal with illnesses and, and whatnot. Uh, but I also want to give God some glory. Many of you know that uh, Ernie and Kathy Karen were involved in a head-on collision. I sent out an email to the church and uh, I will tell you, I got a text this morning at 6 a.m., and uh, there was Ernie and Kathy smiling back at me. And so we praise the Lord for how he's working. Uh, Kathy's been released from the University of Tennessee Hospital down in Knoxville, and uh, Brother Ernie has been moved from uh, ICU. He's been moved, uh, I guess, progressing well, and so uh, he's still in the hospital, but certainly has a, a little bit of uh, healing and recovery to go. So continue to pray for them. But while we pray for them, we praise the Lord, amen, for what he has done. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 85. Psalm 85, it's already behind me. You could see last week we took time to consider the topic of revival. And you say, what's the idea of teaching on revival? Well, at the end of the month, we're going to get, uh, we're, we're kind of ramping up towards what we dub our missions revival. But just because we call something a revival does not mean that's exactly what's going to take place. And so we, I thought it was uh, uh, something that we should do and start talking and kind of thinking and and considering this topic of revival, so last week we began in, uh, by asking the question, what's revival all about? And biblically speaking, we learned that revival, really honestly, if we're, we're going to be true to the topic, it only happens when you and I get really honest with the Lord, right? 
It, it, revival doesn't come until we get honest with the Lord. You, you might fool me, I might fool you, but I can tell you we're not fooling the Lord. And so we have to get honest with the Lord. Uh, we talked about that. We have to get to the place where we are, spiritually speaking, dissatisfied with the way things are going. And, and so we talked about that and we talked about the idea of reaching high for God out of Isaiah 57, 15, reaching high for God. But here's the reality. None of us will ever reach high until, I said, we get low in humility, until we humble ourselves before the Lord. And so it was like John said last week. I shared that one verse from John 3.30, John the Baptist. He said, he, speaking of Jesus Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. That's the idea of getting low, amen? And so we'll never have revival until we understand that. As a working definition, I, I don't know if they have it, but as a working definition, I've decided to put out here, revival speaks of being resuscitated, reawakened, renewed, and rejuvenated in a spiritual sense towards God and the things of God. Now you say the topic for today is not what's revival all about, but w w when do we need it? When do we say we need it? Well, if you take that working definition, we need revival when we need to be resuscitated, reawakened, renewed, or rejuvenated. I wonder if there's anyone here today that would say, I need revival. You see, revival, it's a reviving of our spiritual breath, if you please. This idea of our spiritual breath that has been diminished, or in some cases, seems like it's disappeared. You see, sometimes we're on fire, we're walking with the Lord, we're talking with the Lord, we're serving the Lord, we're doing big things in the Lord's strength, and then something distracts us, something diverts our attention, as we'll see from Scripture, and then we find ourselves, in a sense, in need of this idea of revival. So this morning we're going to ask the question, when do we need it? Look with me in Psalm 85, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to drop down. We're not going to begin in verse number 1, I'll reference it here in a second, but I want to begin in verse number 4. And read along with me a few verses here. In verse number 4, the psalmist says, he says, Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Let me just stop and say, you say, is God an angry God? God hates sin. Let me just say that. God hates sin, and so he gets angry towards sin. But I'm thankful that he hates sin, not the sinner. Isn't that good? He hates sin, but he doesn't hate the sinner. That's crazy. Sometimes we get upset with people and we're like, man, I don't like that guy. I don't like that girl or, or whatever. But God, he loves us and he proved his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the beautiful thing is that God hates sin. Yes, he gets angry at sin, but he doesn't hate us. Amen? That's good news. So let's look at verse number four again. The psalmist says, turn us, O God, of our salvation and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? He says, wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Watch verse 6. Will thou not? He says, will you not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant to us thy salvation. And then he goes on, he says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh or near to them that fear him, that glory may dwell in 
our land. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for the songs that we have seen, that we have sung this morning, the idea that we can stand in your presence. God, that we can bring our petitions and our requests and our praise and our thanksgiving before your holy throne this morning is a wonderful, wonderful gift. Lord, we thank you for the powerful name of Jesus that saved a sinner like me. God, I pray that today, that as we, as we seek to answer this question, when do we need revival? God, I pray that you would give us wisdom. God, I pray that if there's somebody in this room, somebody watching online, who desperately needs a revitalization in their life, God, that they will not put it off until tomorrow. But God, that they will, they will come boldly unto your throne of grace and mercy where they might find help in their time of need. Certainly, Lord, you know that we are a needy people. We need thee every hour. And so, God, I pray that you'll work as only you can. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room or watching that does not have a relationship with Jesus, maybe they've heard a lot about Jesus, they've learned a lot about Jesus, they've thought a lot about Jesus, but maybe they don't have a relationship with your son, Jesus. God, I pray that you would open up the eyes of their understanding, that your Holy Spirit would press upon their heart, that you would open it up that they might fall and receive you today. God, I love you and I thank you for the message that you've laid on my heart. Lord, I pray that I will step backward, that you might be able to step forward and speak through me. And God, that your word would fall upon the good soil of our hearts. And Lord, when we walk away from this place, we'll be changed. We'll be desiring to live more for you and less for ourselves. And God, will give you the praise for it all. Be with those who are sick, those who are recovering, those who have experienced loss in these recent days, Lord, I pray that you'll encourage them. God, that you'll comfort them as you say that you will. And we'll give you the praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, certainly it doesn't take much as we look at the world in which we're living. It doesn't take much for us to see what's taking place. And it's, it's as if, when I look at this passage, it's as if our Lord, who is rich in mercy, is trying to get our attention once again. Amen. Anybody think God's trying to get our attention? I look around and I see things that are taking place in our society, our community, our country, this world. And I, I just wonder, how long-suffering is God? We know He's long-suffering, not willing that any man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know that's who God is. But how long-suffering is He really? And how much more of this junk can He really put up with? I think he's trying to get our attention. As believers, I believe he wants us to wake out of our sleep. Man, I want to encourage you to be here on Wednesday night. Uh, the past couple of Wednesdays, we've been looking at, at some passages that kind of directly connect to what I've been talking about on Sunday. And two weeks ago, we looked at Amos chapter 6 that begins by saying, Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion, the trust in the mountains of Samaria. We looked at that. And then this past week, we looked at Christ's return. Was Paul confused when he believed that the day of the Lord was at hand or was he not confused? We looked at those things. And so I would encourage you, that's just a little short commercial for Wednesday nights. Come and be with us. By the way, this week Awana starts. And so, so every Wednesday night we're gathered here. But here's the deal. I believe that the Lord is trying to get our attention as believers to wake up from our proverbial sleep while we still have the opportunity. But I also believe that the Lord is trying to get the attention of unbelievers He's trying to get the attention of unbelievers before it's eternally too late. 
Oh, listen, none of us have a blank check on tomorrow. In fact, if you flip back one page from your text, it might be on the same page or on the the page right back. You'll notice that in Psalm chapter 80, the psalmist in Psalm chapter 80, Asaph, here's what he says in verse number 3. He says, turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. So in other words, he says, turn us again. And when you look in our passage, I'll point it out here in just a second. There's this idea that they had needed to be revived before. See, it's not, sometimes you say, man, I experienced personal revival when I was 22 years old. Man, the Lord really set my heart on fire. And now I'm 52 and I'm not walking with the Lord. It's okay. Maybe you need revival again. See, because it's apparent this had happened over and over because Asaph says, turn us again, O God. In verse 4 of our text, the psalmist says, turn us, O God, of our salvation and cause thy anger toward us to cease. And so in essence, in Psalm 85, we find this prayer of repentance. See, he says, turn us, O God, our salvation and cause thy anger to cease. Turn us away, turn us again away from our sinfulness that we might be turned back to you. This is the prayer of the psalmist. Last week I said it's going to take an honest recognition of our spiritual condition. That, that it's vital if we're going to so-called get on this road to revival. We have to have an honest recognition of where we are spiritually. It's crucial. But look at verse number 6 of our text. See, the question is posed to God by saying, Wilt thou not revive us again? So Asaph says, Turn us again, O God. And then we get over here five psalms later, Psalm 85, and the psalmist says, Revive us again. In other words, we need you to do what only you can do again. And so we see the prayer and request for revival from the psalmist. But in keeping with our question... We have to ask ourselves, when do we need it? Not just, Lord, revive us again, but when do we need it? And so let me suggest just a few things for your consideration. Number one, if you're a note taker, I would suggest that we need revival when our eyes become diverted. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. When our eyes become diverted. You see, Paul said, I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I remember years ago I borrowed a scope from Mark uh, Mills, and, and I use that scope to give us the idea that what Paul was saying in Philippians there, when he says in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3 that he pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling, it was as if he was looking through a scope and crosshairs. And so what he was saying is that he wanted to keep Jesus in the crosshairs of his scope of his life, spiritually speaking. And so he said, I press towards the mark, the scopos. Towards Jesus Christ. And so look in Hebrews chapter 12. Let me turn over there and look at verse number 1. Verse number 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews says, Wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. He says, since we got a bunch of people watching. Since we're in the stadium and saints of old are watching. And he says, watch what he says. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience. It takes patience, doesn't it? Anybody ever run a race before? I remember the first time in the Marine Corps, they told me I was supposed to run three miles for time. I was like, you want me to do what? I said, are you, are, are you crazy? No, I didn't ask that because they would have made me do 50 or 100 push-ups. But I said, you want me to run three miles and you want to time me? 
it's going to be a long time. And they're like, no, you got like, you got this amount of time, and if you don't do it, you fail. I was like, great. Have you ever run a race and gotten tired? Let's just be honest with God this morning. How many here are tired? How many need a Labor Day day off? How many ain't going to get it? <laughs> Some of you say, I need a day off, but I got to go to work. Right? The writer of Hebrews says, let us run with patience. The race that is set before us. Listen, Jesus Christ, our God, our great God, has given everyone in this room, everybody watching, a race to run. And guess what? Some of the races got a lot of hills. Sometimes the races that we run got a lot of bumps. Sometimes the races that we run involve accidents on tennis courts. Just saying. Sometimes the race that we run involves persecution. There are people all over the world today serving Jesus and being persecuted fiercely for it. Some days, the race that we run involves anger towards us. Oh, listen, it's not easy sometimes. But the text says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Look at verse 2. Here's where I wanted to really get. Looking unto Jesus. See, uh, when our eyes become diverted away from Jesus, we're going to have a problem. And so the writer of Hebrews here says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And when we get our eyes diverted off of Jesus, here's the reality. And I'm not the smartest or the sharpest tool in this shed. And I'm not trying to be self-deprecating at all. But here's the reality. If I'm not keeping my eyes focused on Jesus, I got news for you and news for myself. Then I'm looking at someone or something else. And guess what? When I start looking at someone or something other than Jesus Christ, it's time for me to have a good old talk with Jesus. I need some revival in my life. So when our eyes become diverted from Jesus, when we get filled with so many things that seem to distract us, catch our eyes, our attention, our minds, and our hearts. See, that's why we have to be careful. You see, because the eye gate is a dangerous place. Men, men, women, it's a dangerous place because once it goes in here, we got this built-in DVD recorder and, and we start hitting press and play and play and rewind and play over and over again. And I got news for you. If that's what's going on, if you're looking at anything other than Jesus Christ, then it's time for some good old-fashioned revival. By the way, that wasn't even in my notes. What happens is we end up losing our sight. Spiritually speaking, we end up losing our sight of what's really important, what's the priority. Because I got news for you. Soon and very soon, whether it's 50 years or 60 years, or, or even if I live to be 125 years old, what if I'm pastoring when I'm 125 years old, just beating this desk? Ah, get up and do something for Jesus, right? You know what? I got news for you. I'm not going to be pounding this pulpit when I'm 125. If I live to be 125, I may be sitting out there somewhere, but I'm not going to be up here. But what I want to point out is that it doesn't matter. Our life is a vapor. 50 years 
gone. Anybody 50 years old here? It seems just like yesterday I was riding my bicycle down in Springfield, Virginia. Seems just like yesterday I, I was on the way to your mama's service. And as I passed where you and Trey used to live, it seemed just like yesterday that I was laying out in that field, flipped that stinking four-wheeler and thought I was going to see Jesus that day. And I pointed to that field and I said, that's where Jesus performed a miracle. I said, I flew off the four-wheeler. Carrie thought I was dead, but I wasn't. I rose back up. <laughs> Got back up. I said, what happened? <laughs> what happened is uh, there was no more four-wheeler riding that day. I put in my notes. Go back to our text. In Psalm 85, what's crazy to me is Here's the thing, before the psalmist even begins to pray to God to turn and revive him, revive the people, before he does that, if you look at the verses 1, 2, and 3, he begins by remembering. And you say, what's the point of remembering? See, I think if we'll take time to remember, in a sense, we'll be... We'll be able to answer the question if you need evidence. I mean, if I say your eyes, if, if our eyes have been diverted, you already know the answer. But sometimes we need convincing, don't we? Sometimes like, like hey, are your eyes diverted from Jesus? No, brother, I, I, I'm doing good, brother. I got it. Uh, it's all good. We don't want counsel. We don't want encouragement. We don't want admonishment. And so sometimes we need convincing. And so what's crazy to me is at the beginning of Psalm 85, it's as if the psalmist is convincing himself that they need revival. Because in verses 1 through 3, he points out, you can look at it for me, he points out the fact that uh, God had been favorable to the land, that he had returned them from bondage and captivity, that God had forgiven their iniquity, he had covered their sin, taken away all his wrath. In fact, he even references the fact in verse number 3 that God had turned from the actual fierceness of his own anger. And so he, in a sense, remembers all the things that God had done for him before. And so in a sense, he's remembering. And so as I was thinking about this the other day, I was reminded of Isaiah chapter 51 and verse number 1. The prophet Isaiah says this. He says, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and unto the hole of the pit from whence ye were digged. You see, it's okay sometimes I think for us to understand whether we have been diverted or not from Jesus, we have to go back and remember where have we come from and where are we now. I think it's okay to remember. A lot of people say, hey, listen, just keep on moving forward. Don't look back. You know, you're not fit for the kingdom of God if you look back. Okay, I get that in the context in which it was said by Jesus. But in this point, I'm saying that sometimes it's okay to look back and look at all of God's faithfulness, all of his goodness and all of his mercy and all of his grace, and then look at where I am spiritually now and say, God, help me. I've, I've allowed my eyes to be diverted from you, and I need revival. You think about David in Psalm 40. In verse number 2, he's celebrating God's greatness and he declares that it's the Lord. He declares that it's the Lord who brought him up out of the horrible pit. It was the Lord who brought him up out of the miry clay. It was the Lord who established his feet on a rock and said, go and do big and great things. You see, he understood where it came from. In the New Testament, if we go over to Ephesians chapter 2, we're reminded in Scripture, in verse number 10, that we... That we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus 
unto good works. And we love that verse. A lot of people say, oh man, we're, we're his workmanship. But see, that's why you have to read the whole counsel of God. Because see, if you read on in verse number 11 and 12, the Bible goes on to, to tell us to remember a time that when we were without Christ, a time that we were strangers from the covenant of promise, I remember a time that you and I were without hope. See, if we remember when we had no hope, and when we got hope, when we were walking with the Lord, and then we move on through life, and we're, our eyes are diverted here, there, and yonder, and now we find ourselves here, and we can't remember back what happened here, it's probably time for revival. Psalm 119 and verse number 37. The psalmist says, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. What he is saying here when he says the word vanity, he says, turn my eyes away from beholding the useless things of this world that seem to catch my attention. Let me ask the question. Be honest. Don't raise your hand. Don't stand up or anything. But ask yourself, has some things in this world caught your attention? Have they begun to seem more important to you than your relationship with Jesus? I would dare say it's time for revival. I'm just saying. In Psalm 101, in verse number 3, David declared, I will set no wicked thing, uh-oh, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. So instead of allowing ourselves and our eyes to be diverted in every direction of man, we need to keep looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And when this isn't the case, we're in need of revival. In Isaiah 45, 22, the Bible says, look unto me. God says, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God. Watch what he says. I am God and there is who else? He says, there's none else. In the New Testament, Jesus continues this theme. <laughs> He actually, he actually continues the theme by kind of speaking to his identity. In John chapter 14 and verse number 6, it's one of the iconic passages. He says, hey, listen, guys, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by who? Me. He said, so if you want to get to the Father, you got to come by me. Isaiah said, look unto me. I am God and there is none else. It's consistent. Whether we're looking at Isaiah 45 or John 14. There's a painting, and if you guys will put that painting up, there's a painting in the Berlin Art Gallery by the German painter Adolf Menzel. Adolf Menzel lived between 1815 and 1905. And what I want to draw your attention to, and I don't have a pointer, so I'll use my cane, all right? The good old pointer. If you look to the right side, you'll notice a little block of unfinished painting, and then right there in the center, unfinished painting. This painting by Menzel is actually supposed to depict Frederick the Great speaking to his Prussian generals before they were about to go and into this battle of Luthen in 1757 against a much larger Austrian army. But what you'll notice is the painting is unfinished. And you're saying, why is it in the Berlin Art Gallery today? Well, it's revered as a great painting. But here's the point. If you look at the painting, you'll see that Menzel... He painted a lot of the background. He painted a lot of the generals. But this little area over here where he just kind of chalk outlined where Frederick the Great was going to be, 
It's unfinished. You say, why is it unfinished? Menzel died before he ever finished the painting. You say, what's the point? The point is, I believe, and I feel like many times that we as Christians, we keep our eyes fixed to the backgrounds. We keep our eyes fixed to the other things of life. And we forget to focus on the main thing, Jesus Christ. We forget to put him in his rightful place upon the throne of our hearts and our lives. And then what happens is we live our life this way. We're, we're looking at all the things that have come our way. We're looking at all the people who play a role in our life. And yet we never really focus on the main character of the painting, if you please. If you remember, if you look back at our text in verse number 4 and 6, the Bible points out that God was not the one in need of reviving. It was the people. Turn us, O God. Wilt thou not revive us again? And so I believe we need revival when our eyes have become diverted. I also believe that we need revival when our hearts have become discouraged or hardened. I started to ask this earlier, but listen, life is tough. You may be here this morning and you, you're a little discouraged. Anybody honest enough to say, Pastor, I, I, I'm a little discouraged today. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm discouraged. Can I tell you that pastors get discouraged? You didn't know that, did you? I get discouraged just like you all do, right? And so we go through this season of life many times. Life can be hard and discouraging, but I want to tell you that life can also be super exciting. You might be discouraged today, but I got news for you. You may walk out of here super excited. You say, could it happen that quick? Oh, yes, it can. Oh, yes, it can. It can happen that quick. By the way, our Lord never promised us an easy life. I don't find anywhere here in Scripture that's trust the Lord and have an easy, hunky-dory life. But I do, prom I do find that our Lord promised us an abundant life. Amen? He promised us abundant life, and sometimes that abundant life requires and comes with a bunch of ups, downs, and in-betweens. That's the reality of life. In fact, Hebrews chapter or Ephesians chapter 6, that's why Paul set, reminds us in Hebrews 6:10 that we need to be strong and in the power, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Listen, without Jesus, I am nothing. And without Jesus, I can do nothing. John 15 reminds me of that. And so we have to. Put the focus where it needs to be. In Psalm 119, 107, notice what the psalmist says. He says, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me. Watch that phrase. He says, quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. But if you were to go back to verse 106, the psalmist basically alludes to the fact, in verse 106, he alludes to the fact that he has been sworn in, so to speak, as a servant of the Lord. By the time he gets to the very next verse, it's as if he's letting you and me know that sometimes when we serve the Lord, it can be discouraging. Hello? Hey, have you ever worked in the nursery? It's, I'll be honest with you. It's not a real feel-good place to work, but it's a very necessary place. I'm thankful that the second week after my son was born, my oldest son, the second week after he was born, we came the first week, Krista was at home. The second week, we brought that little thing, that little cherub, that little angel known as Colby Allen. We brought him here to Battlefield Baptist Church. And you know where he went? He went over and he sat with a beautiful angel, Sally Johnson. Some of you remember Miss Sally. She used to wear an apron like she was ready for duty every time. 
you get to the nursery. I mean, it, you, you want to say old school, whatever. I say it's good school. I got here, and Sally, she, she had a smile. Oh, man, she had a smile this wide. And, man, when we took Colby there, I mean, listen, moms, you know it's hard. It's hard putting your kid anywhere. But the second week, he's only two weeks old. And Crystal, we go and we take him there. And Sally, man, she just made us feel so at ease. And there, little old Colby, he went right on in there to that nursery. And you know what? He never looked back. Oh, see, sometimes we serve in roles that we don't think are important, but they are. They're certainly very, very, very important. Oh, listen, in Psalm 107, he says, I'm afflicted very much, quicken me. So what's his plea? His plea is, Lord, revive me and restore me. When David gets to Psalm 138, here's what he says. He says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, he had a confidence. He says, thou will revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of mine enemies. In other words, you're going to stop and restrain the wrath of my enemies. And thy right hand, which may be an homage, if you please, or be understood of Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God the Father, who is the right hand of God the Father, he says, shall save me. But not only do fightings and fears come from within, sometimes fightings and fears come from without, and our hearts get discouraged. And honestly, if we're not careful, our hearts can become hardened. Anybody ever dealt with a hard heart? Come on, let's be honest with Jesus today. He knows. It's not like you're telling him anything new. Maybe you're struggling with a hard heart right now. Maybe you're sitting here, you're watching, and you say, man, I, I, I want to worship Jesus, but I'm struggling. I've been discouraged, and my heart is hard. What do I do? Well, I would give you one recipe for success would be to look to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 13. In verse number 13, here's what Scripture says. It says, exhort. It tells us to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now watch it again. It says to exhort. The idea of the exhortation is the idea of calling near or coming alongside of one another. It's the, the word parakaleo, right? To come alongside. And so watch what it says. It says, come alongside of one another daily. Oh, I think that would do us some good. The problem is we, don't rare, we very rarely come alongside one another. We live in a society, we live in a time in which, you know what we're really good at doing? We're really good at beating one another down. We're not really good at building one another up. It says, come along. It says, exhort one another daily. It's to be an ongoing process, day in and day out. Call your buddy, call your friend, pray for them, pray with them. Encourage them if they're struggling with something. You know, the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Oh, it's a ministry. We all have all been given this ministry. Oh, listen, oh, my friends, don't be fooled. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and in the end cost you more than you're willing to pay. And if we keep our eyes, if our eyes get away from Jesus, if they're diverted away from Jesus, the reality is that disappointments and discouragements will come. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, I believe they'll begin to fade from view. I put this little bracket in my notes, and I'm not sure who may need this, but I'll let it flow and hopefully the seed will fall upon the good soil of where it needs to fall. Nowhere in scripture are we called to be ambassadors of discouragement. 
We're not called to become, watch this, we're not called to be ambassadors of discouragement, division, or disunity. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ. So here's the deal. You say, what's that? Here's what I want to say. If somebody calls you, or maybe you're the one calling, be careful. If somebody calls you, somebody wants to hang out with you, somebody wants to distract you and discourage you from Jesus, here's what you do. Goodbye. I'm sorry, I don't have time to talk because I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm sorry, I got to get off this phone because Jesus is greater, right? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Goodbye. I have to get off this phone now because you're starting to discourage me. And by the way, like I said, if you're the one making the call, you need to stop calling. Again, our desire should be, and you've heard me pray this before I preach. You've heard me pray this before I preach. Our desire should be as Psalm 19, 14 says, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight because, God, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. Listen, this is not meant, this is not meant to discourage. This tool that we have been given is not meant to divide or to sow disunity. So I don't care who it is, do you hear me? I don't care who it is, if they're trying to discourage you, cause division or disunity, you say goodbye. Because that's not God's business, that's the devil's business. And you say, what? why are you so passionate about that? Because I believe that hearts have been discouraged beyond belief. And you say, at battlefield? Absolutely at battlefield. Hearts have been discouraged. We got to be careful about that. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. William Ward, the Baptist missionary of the 17 and 1800s. Did you realize they were Baptist missionaries back in the 1700s? Here's what he said about discouragement. He said, discouragement is a distraction with the past. A dissatisfaction, excuse me, with the past. A distaste for the present and a distrust for the future. It is ingratitude for the blessings of yesterday, indifference to the opportunities of today, and insecurity regarding the strength for tomorrow. It is unawareness of the presence of beauty, unconcerned for the needs of our fellow men, and unbelief in the promises of old. It is impatience with time, immaturity of thought, and it is impoliteness to God to be dissatisfied. Again, we're too blessed to be dissatisfied or discouraged. Oh, he was right. Our hearts, when they become discouraged or hardened, chances are that we need revival. Number three, we need revival when our joy becomes diminished. Look at verse number six of our text. If your joy has become diminished, you need revival. Because the psalmist says, Wilt thou not revive us again? That thy people may what? Rejoice in thee. So obviously the psalmist understood that the eyes of the people had been diverted, their hearts were discouraged, and so he comes to God and he says, will you not revive us again? The truth is, guys, to be honest, we got to protect. We have to protect ourselves. Because whether you realize it or not, I say it all the time, misery loves company. I don't want to be the company. But there are people out there who want to steal your joy. There are joy robbers running around Northern Virginia. Did you know that? Anybody ever run into a joy robber? You might run into them after church today. You might have to remind them they're not going to steal your joy. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse number 10, he said, The thief cometh but not for to steal, to kill and destroy. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. This idea of joy is pretty important. 
You think about Psalm 51 and verse number 12. David, this is his penitent prayer. And it's after his sin with Bathsheba had taken place about a year prior. And he had delayed dealing with his sinfulness. And so you get to Psalm 51, 12, and he says these words. He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Notice he didn't say my salvation. He said the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Nehemiah 8.10 says, for the joy of the Lord. You need some strength today? The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not going to be found anywhere else. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh, listen, folks, Jesus and joy go hand in hand. It's like this. Joy and Jesus, they go hand in hand. You say, where do you get that? You remember the verse that I read right out of the gate in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2? Remember I said looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith? But it goes on there in verse number 2 and it says, Who for the joy that was set before him. That's joy, you and me. Who for the joy? The joy of doing what his father had sent him to do. The joy of seeing uh, the church established. The joy of all that was to come. He endured the cross and despised the shame. Oh, listen. In the midst of his suffering, Jesus endured. In the midst of opposition and persecution, he endured. Our joy is set before us in the person of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our sadness, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of anything that we're going through, we can still have joy as long as we have Jesus. You say, oh, that's just a bunch of words speak. No. If you'll just fall more in love with Jesus, I can tell you that no one will be able to steal your joy. I don't care what happens. I've lost loved ones. If I'm holding on to Jesus, my joy is still going to remain strong. That doesn't mean I don't mourn the loss of my loved one. That doesn't mean that I'm not sad. It doesn't mean that I don't shed a tear. But I got news for you. If I'm holding tight, if I'm keeping my focus on Jesus, I'm telling people you're not going to discourage me. I'm going to tell you my joy is going to be much stronger. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 1611 that in thy presence is the fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures evermore. Galatians reminds us that the fruit of the Spirit involves joy. Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Listen, many times on some level, here's what happens. We forget not only to be joyful, we forget to rejoice in the Lord. We come to the Lord's house. Sometimes I'm not even sure why we come to the Lord's house. Did you ask yourself this morning, why am I getting dressed? You probably did. You said, I stay here and eat a blueberry muffin. Right? Sometimes we do that. By the way, I had to ask myself this morning when I got up. I got up this morning. And I said, man, what are you going there for? Yeah, you're the pastor. Yeah, you got to preach the message. But that isn't why I'm here. I'm here because you encourage me because I want to be an encouragement to you. But I want to come and worship Jesus. I want to become, I want to come and celebrate what he's done and what he's doing and what I believe he's going to do in the future. So we have to ask ourselves, where are we with this idea of joy? Many times we're convinced to search the world over for joy, but what we do is we end up looking for joy, much like love, in all the wrong places. In Psalm verse number 5 and number 11, the Bible says, Let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. That means if you have trusted God and Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you ought to rejoice. 
Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful. We sang what a beautiful name. What a wonderful name. What a powerful name. Do you really love Jesus? Because if you love Jesus, you're going to be joyful. You're going to be a little giddy. You're going to be a little giddy for Jesus. You ever been giddy for Jesus? Maybe today would be a good day to start. You say, what does being giddy for Jesus look like? I don't know. You might just walk out of here. And people say, what's, what's wrong with that lady? Uh, she's giddy. What's she giddy over? Jesus. Oh, okay. It's okay to be giddy for Jesus. Isaiah 61 and 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Uh, remember, our righteousness is filthy rags. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself, herself with jewels. Oh, listen, we could go on and on all throughout Scripture pointing to biblical joy. But when we find ourselves pursuing everything else other than Jesus, I got news for you. You're not going to be very joyful. In fact, you might just be downright angry. Lastly, we need revival when our work for the Lord has become disrupted. You see, when I got saved, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all are become new. When I got saved, man, it was crazy. I was like, Okay, I want to learn more about Jesus. I want to, uh, what, what, what can I do for Jesus? And they're like, listen, you're 13. Just have a seat right there, young man. No, what they should have done is told me I could sing in the choir. What they should have told me is I could, I could, I could do something for Jesus. They said, have a, have a seat. We know you're excited. We got something for you, right? Man, you remember back when you first trusted Jesus? Let me ask a question. It's not hyperbole. When, when you trusted Jesus, if, if you're here and you've already trusted Jesus as your Savior, when you trusted Jesus, were you excited to know that God loved you enough to send His Son to die for you? Somebody please say, I was excited. Were you excited to know that you're now headed for heaven and not the other place? Were you excited to know that there were a body of believers that were excited about your decision for Jesus and they wanted to encourage you and pray for you and, and on and on? Was that exciting to you? Got news for you, nothing's changed. You know what's changed? Is our eyes get diverted, our hearts get discouraged or hardened, our joy seems to be diminished, and so what happens is we need revival, but we don't know what to do about it. So we're like, well, I'll just keep on doing the best I can. And yet the best I can is never good enough. Only Jesus, only Jesus will make a real difference. When our joy has become diminished so much that we stop rejoicing in our Lord, I can assure you, biblically speaking, that our eyes have been diverted, our hearts have been discouraged, and the work of the Lord becomes disrupted. By the way, this church, or any church for that matter, is no stronger, no more active, or no more alive than its members. You say, why, why doesn't Battlefield grow? Why, why don't we see? I got news for you. I think it would grow if we got a little giddy for Jesus and went out there and told people that we were giddy for Jesus and they need to come and be here. That's everybody's responsibility. That's not just PG's responsibility. We get so preoccupied with things that really don't matter as far as eternity is concerned. Yes, I know we got to pay the electric bill. We got to pay rent. We got to... We got to eat, we got to do all these things, but we get so distracted by everything else. 
other than Jesus. That the work of the Lord suffers and many times it comes to a complete halt. Habakkuk prayed this in Habakkuk 3 in verse number 2. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. He said, O Lord, revive thy work. In the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make known and in wrath remember mercy like Habakkuk. We need to remember that revival is God's work. It's for his church and it's never deserved. Remember the last part? He says, in wrath remember mercy. He said, God, we know you're angry. We know we've been sinning. We know we've been chasing after foolishness and all kind of matter. But God, would you in wrath remember mercy and send revival again? i got to wrap it up. There's a story told of William Carey's... Uh, Son, William Carey, that great missionary to India, <clears throat> he had become so greatly concerned for his son Felix that he actually at one point asked for prayer for his son Felix. His son had, uh, had made a commitment to be a missionary. And, uh, but later, he was confirmed as an ambassador uh, uh, to the people of Burma. And so he decided he was no longer going to be a missionary, he was going to be an ambassador. And so, Carey requested prayer for his son. And here's what William Carey said. He said, pray for Felix. <laughs> he has degenerated into an ambassador of the British government when he should be serving the king of kings. You see, in Carey's mind, there was no greater work than serving King Jesus. Vance Havner... <laughs> He said, revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. And so I simply ask you as we close this morning, where are you at? Individually. Not pointing the finger across the room or like, I'm, hey, you know those shirts they have where the couples wear the shirts and it's like, I'm with dummy, you know? Like you always want to walk on the opposite side so the finger's not pointing at you. Not pointing the finger at anybody else, but let me ask you, those online, those here in this room, where are you at this morning? Do you, let me ask first, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Is He the Savior of your life? Have you trusted Him? Have you placed your complete faith in the risen Savior of the world, the one who died on the cross for the sins of the world? Do you know Jesus? That's the first question. Number two is how is your walk with Him? How's your walk with him? You guys can come. Maybe as Hosea said in Hosea chapter 10. Remember last week we talked about what Hosea said. Maybe it's time that we break up the fallow ground. Maybe it's time that we seek the Lord until he bring rain of righteousness upon us. How's your walk with the Lord today? Have you prayed that prayer of the psalmist? In Psalm 139 and verse 23, you remember the prayer? It said, search me, O God. And know my heart and try me and know my thoughts. And in verse number 4, he goes on and says, And see if there be any wicked way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. Have you prayed that prayer? How's your walk with the Lord? Let me ask you, would you be willing to be honest? Not with me. You telling me something. Listen, I can pray with you. I can pray for you. But I don't, I don't make an eternal difference in anybody's life. Let's be careful about that. We don't make an eternal difference in anybody's life. Jesus makes an eternal difference in the lives of people. Would you be honest with the Lord today? I'm being serious. 
Maybe it's time that we come clean. Right? Say, Jesus. Last week we talked about what is it all about. Today, pastor's talking about when do we need it. Jesus, I'm just going to be honest with you. Would you be honest with the Lord and say, Jesus, I'm just going to be honest with you. My eyes have been diverted. I'm a little discouraged, or maybe I'm a lot discouraged today. I don't sense the joy of the Lord. I, I know that Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is our strength, but I don't sense it. And because, I, because of my eyes have been diverted, because of my heart being discouraged or hardened, and because, because my joy has, I, I've let the world steal me of my joy, Lord, what's happened is your work has suffered. I've not been busy telling people about you. I've not been giddy about the relationship I once had. I'm not walking with you the way I should. Would you be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to be honest, I need revival. I don't care what you do with the person down the aisle, but I need revival right here and right now. Would you be honest? Maybe you're at home. You would just, the Lord's broken your heart today. You would just get down on the floor by the chair, the couch, or wherever you're at. You may be in a coffee cafe somewhere. I don't know where you're at, but if you're watching and you know you need revival, would you just call out? Would you be honest? What are we afraid of? Jesus loves us. He doesn't, he, listen, he didn't come to condemn the world. That's what John 3, 17 says. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's what the good word says. We don't have time for jokes. Would you pray for personal revival? I put here also, here's another one. If we don't talk about this anymore, this is a hush-hush, no-no. How many people would be willing to get up? I don't care if you do it right where you sit or you come down. You would say, you know what? I'm going to recommit myself to Jesus. I'm going to recommit my life to Christ. I'm going to give him ownership again. I'm going to put him back on the throne. I'm going to quit looking at everything else. I'm going to quit becoming discouraged when everything doesn't go my way. I'm going to hold on to the joy that I have in the Lord as tight as I can. And I'm going to start serving the Lord with all that I have. And so today I'm going to recommit my life to Christ. How many would be willing to say, you know what, it's time. It's time to be honest. It's time to recommit myself to Jesus Christ. That's only a question that you can answer. But as for me and my house, as Joshua of old said, I'm going to serve the Lord. And I know my wife's going to serve the Lord. That's what we're going to do. In verse 7, let me just finish. In verse 7, 8, and 9 of our text, I really didn't even point it out. But I want you to see these last three verses because the psalmist says, show us. Watch what he says. He says, show us thy mercy, O God, and grant us thy salvation. In verse number 8, he says, I will hear. I want to hear what you have to say, God. I'm tired of listening to everything else. I will hear what you will have to say because you're going to speak peace to your people and to your saints. But God, help us not to turn to folly again. But notice what he says in verse number 9. And I close and we pray. Verse number 9, he says, Surely his salvation is nigh. That means it's near to them that fear him. Do you reverence God this morning? It is nigh to them that fear God that, watch it, 
glory. Who gets the glory? He gets the glory. So that glory may dwell in our land. Revival, when do we need it? We need it now. We need it now. And I beg you, see it's an individual decision. We need it now. What are we waiting for? Father, we love you. God, I pray that if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know Jesus, somebody who's watching, that they have experienced more than enough of your scripture to know that you love them enough to send your son to die for their sins and that today would be the day that you have spoken to their heart, opened up the mind of their understanding that they might trust Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. God, this message is about revival. So Lord, I pray that you have spoken to your people, to your saints, and that we would be honest enough with you and less concerned with what anybody else thinks to recommit ourselves to you on this very day. Lord, I pray that you'll have your will and your way like none other, and we'll give you the praise for it all. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen.